uncover the secrets of your unique, creative, entrepreneurial brain and learn how to control it so you can finally live up to your true potential. Yes, many things that are easy for other people are challenging for us, but if we learn how to control our interest-based nervous system, we can do things that other people can't even imagine. I'm your host Maurice and I will help you to understand yourself and teach you the tools, techniques and behaviors that will unlock clarity, energy and focus. Welcome to the ADH Tours podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to the next episode of the ADH Tours podcast. Today I'm here with Bob Minnes. He is the authority on high-performing corporate and entrepreneurial leaders with his intense circle of expert value system, his combined 17 years of entrepreneur experience, education, and life experience, aligning him perfectly to position you as the wanted expert in your field. His first quarter million dollar business instructed other experts on HGTV. He had coached over 500 business owners to workshops and private sessions. His book, From Addict to Expert, maps out the journey on his early dysfunction with business and people and his recovery to authenticity, which we are sure we'll talk a lot about. So welcome, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Maurice. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great. Thanks for being on the show. And let's get straight into it. Maybe tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. I'm especially interested in yeah, what you basically have in your book from, from the title, from what I can tell. So let's start with that. Yeah. Um, so... It's an, it was an interesting journey and it happened three times over. So it took me a while to learn my lessons. Uh, but uh, I started as an entrepreneur about 17 years ago. And uh, I learned a lot in terms of the, uh, this notion of addiction in terms of us as entrepreneurs. We're addicted to these highs and lows. This idea that I'm going to chase the next sale or I'm going to chase the next big deal. And then you have this other part that comes in where nobody's calling you and expenses are going out mm -hmm. and so it's this up and down that that entrepreneurials it, it really is like an addiction because it's you're seeking the highs uh and avoiding the lows as opposed to planning you know strategically what should my business look like we you know we we treat it as a as a reactive notion as a pro as opposed to a proactive notion so uh when i started my first business it was great we we're doing really well and then when i got divorced everything just fell apart i didn't build a business that was resistant to external forces, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's the first thing we don't understand as entrepreneurs is we build, we build our businesses based on us, which is great. And that's you know, what I love to talk about. Um, but I always love to ask the question, Maurice, if we're dead tomorrow, what happens to the business, <laughs> right? It needs to be this um, independent operating identity that really that you steer as opposed to you are required to, to lead or fun to make it function. Um, so after that divorce, everything fell apart. I, you know, I, I was couch surfing for a year, lived in a storage unit for a few months, just, you know, hopping here and there, mm -hmm. didn't have my own home. And, uh, it, you know, it took, it took me, it took a big toll on me, but at the same time, it taught me a lot about humility, which is this other idea of addiction is, is this idea that successful entrepreneurs have to be arrogant, right? This idea that, um, we look at past, successful people like Steve Jobs or, or all of these people that have sort of lived this life of arrogance. But I'll tell you, uh, when, things hit, when things hit the skids, that arrogance doesn't help you. So that was another lesson to really humble myself, even at my age, to realize I need to build something that's not about me, that's about the people that I want to serve. So 
Um, so I spent a good three, two or three years working on myself, working on my skill set. And I, I realized every time something tragic happened in my life, I had to rebuild my life, not just my business, because, you know, Maurice, you can appreciate our, our identity, our identity is inexplicably tied to our entrepreneurship, right? We're, we're an entrepreneur. That's who we are. And if our business fails, who are we? So I, I, I came, I realized what was happening was we weren't building businesses or we weren't building entrepreneurial ventures that were um, designed a to help other people b that were separate from ourselves, but see really leveraging us, right? We all have knowledge. We all have understanding. We all have gifts and we all have skills, but we, I don't know why I still meet people that believe that they still need a physical product or they still need to physically sell time for money. And when I tell them, look, you've been doing this for five, 10, 15 years, there's knowledge in your head that has value that, that you can actually build it to something. Yes. Independent of you. So uh, it took me a long time to realize that these 17 years of bumps, scrapes, bruises, and beatings um, was actually valuable to someone else. So they didn't have to go what I went through. They didn't have to lose their home or lose their family or, or lose a lot of money. <laughs> right. Um, so my journey is sort of summed up in this idea of, um, I'm a stubborn learner and, and, you know, 17 years later, I'm at a place where we're still all learning and evolving. Um, but now my goal is to help entrepreneurs avoid 17 years of pain. How can we do, uh, in four, two or three or four years, what took me 17 years to realize. So I, I love it because now I'm actually helping people. I feel like I'm doing good. I'm, 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 I'm trying to help people build their own, create their own economy simply by selling knowledge. So it's, it's, it's been a really, I've, I've really summed it up because I know we only have mm -hmm. so much time, but it's been a long, long road for sure. Yeah. Interesting. What is the biggest mistake you see other entrepreneurs are making? You know, I, that's why I loved, I was excited when you invited me on this podcast because the first thing I tell them is focus. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. idea that yeah. we have all these concepts of what we want to do and, you know, people call it squirrel syndrome and you get so excited and you get so passionate. Um, the, the biggest thing, the biggest misnomer that I hear in entrepreneurship, which is funny because it's, it's true. It's just led, it's just positioned incorrectly is you need to have multiple sources of income. So of course, people like you and me, Maurice, the people that love multi, multiple shiny syndrome are like, yeah, we need to have multiple sources of income. What they don't tell you is the idea here is you, you need to build one first, focus on one, build that out, automate it, then move on to the next one. So the biggest mistake I see is a lot of entrepreneurs trying to do multiple things at multiple times. And then they wonder why they're not really getting forward. They're not moving the dial. They're sort of in the same place they were two years ago. Um, it's really all about um, dialing everything into one thing, growing it, building it and automating it so that it's earning income and then moving on to the next idea. That's the biggest mistake is, is lack of focus. I won't even say focus. I'll say lack of a plan because people like me, I'm not going to include you in that, but you may be, I'm sure you're an ADHD or like me. Um, it's not that, you know, because imagine people like you and I try to focus, that's just not going to work. But if I had a plan, if I had a, a pure, a clear blueprint or diagram that said, Bob, just do this today, just do this today and do this today. And it mm -hmm. fed into what excited me. That's where success comes from. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% resonate with that, especially when I started entrepreneurship was like dropshipping and then information business and then all these things, because that's also why, why I enjoy working that way constantly. Yeah. Thing. But it's at the same time, if you really want progress, you just need to make that decision and that clarity. That's what we often talk about our coaching. Like, where do you want to go? 
have that long-term goal and then break it down and stay on that path, build the structures around you that do the things that your brain just isn't good at because your brain nationally, oh, there's a new idea. That's why the, yeah. the overlap, the last interview I just had, I was with a professor researching the connection between ADHD and entrepreneurship and how ADHD can actually help it, like the impulsiveness yeah. and the creativeness. And so that's why the, the connection for me is really fascinating between the ADHD brain and basically I call it also the entrepreneurial brain because so many entrepreneurs, no matter if they have an official diagnosis or not, it's just how, how they are. And that's why the, the problems, the overlap is so great. Like, like yeah. you mentioned focus on the concept new and dear. So um, that's, I, I think, I think ADHD has an, you've said it kind of uh, ADHD has an amazing home in innovation. And I think a lot of small business owners, so I'm very clear in defining that small business owners to me are different than entrepreneurs. I think a lot of small business owners think I'm just going to do the same thing over and over because it works. They do it Maurice because it's safe. But where, where people like you and me come in, this ability for us to ideate, to evolve, to innovate, that's where entrepreneurship is born. And, mm -hmm. you know, the small business owners that I see thrive, uh, when I look at them today, they might have the same business 20 years later, but it's not the same business as 20 years ago. Do you know what I mean? That, that ability to constantly uh, pivot, evolve, change, mm -hmm. that people criticize us for having a lack of focus is actually what leads us to survive and thrive during times like now. I'm going to give you another example, and it might upset some of your listeners. I can promise you um, the people, the entrepreneurs who are at least surviving, if not thriving during everything that's happening in the world around us today, are the ones that can easily shift and pivot. And that usually comes with some level of ADHD. This idea that, again, you have to do the same mm. thing over and over and focus and repeat. In the old days, Maurice, that was true, but everything is different. Our economy is different. Our people are different. The, the Our speed border, of change is accelerating. The internet. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So I think I'd, I'm, I got to listen to that interview with that professor. <laughs> yeah. It's actually super great one because you also discussed on the impact on society, like what are the, the roles of ADHD or entrepreneurial brains in a society on, on the basis of society, like going out there, exploring new, new possibilities and taking the risks other people won't take. Uh, and with, in combination with that impulsiveness. So yeah, <laughs> not even thinking about just going, going all in. Um, and, and I love that. And there's, there's, a, there's a conservative way to do that. So as I age, what I've learned is, I, you know, what you just said, Maurice, I used to love taking chances and risks. And as you age, you have kids, you have responsibilities, you have commitments. You start to learn to do that um, in a planned way, which sounds very much against ADHD, but it's not. I still live a life where I get to bounce here and there and everywhere. But instead of being in an open field that goes nowhere, I have a structure around me, which you touched on earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's especially when I ventured from from yeah, having a normal job working as consultant where there's like extreme structure around me. The, 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 the last project I had was strategy consulting, basically Monday morning, 5 a.m. flying to the client, working on site till 8 p.m., going back to the hotel, continue work there. And that's why my life was basically working and all the structure was around me. So I wouldn't have to worry about that. And the constant yeah. deadlines, constant pressure on you just kept the stimulation going so that's why you can't perform yeah. at a high level but if, if yeah. you go into entrepreneurship then you are all on your on yourself and think that's one of the ma most major struggles for, for yeah. many entrepreneurs building that yeah. structure no matter if they have like this label adhd as you mentioned it's basically on a spectrum for very many with our clients some don't have an official diagnosis yet because they somehow manage and they're just getting clearer and clearer that they they have some kind of deviation from the norm with their brain 
So it's always, do you have this label ADHD? Do you want to call it entrepreneurial brain? Um, I, lo I love that you touch on the idea of label because it, for some reason, and I guess I could get it, for some reason it's, it's, it's a stigma, right? Mm -hmm. ADHD has this defect, it's a disability. And first of all, I have a rule that I don't think anyone has disabilities. I think they have different abilities. That's always been my methodology. But where people that have, that have some level of ADHD, I think that it, those are the people that can drive change better, faster, harder than any other average person. And again, I'm biased because I fit <laughs> that category, but that's just my feeling of it for sure. Yeah. But I guess that's pretty people who have that ADHD will can relate to it at some level. The struggle is just also why it's labeled as a disability or mental disorder. It's just we are in an environment that's extremely hostile to it, especially in the early age when our brains develop in school and even to some part university where you, mm -hmm. creativity has no place. They are there to, to make factory workers. And that's why yeah. it's so challenging for us. Um, but at the same time, it's the wrong thing to, to only have that negative basically yeah. the bias built into the, the system. You, um, you touched on something really important, which I really love is this idea of creativity, right? So, you know, today when we look at our children and their internet devices and parents say, my kids have ADHD, that makes sense because the idea, you know, Maurice is that they're aiming for a dopamine hit. It's earlier, as I talked about this concept of addiction and entrepreneurship, they're aiming for that dopamine hit, but it's not because they're aiming for creativity or to evolve or to express themselves. Certainly, I can see, I think that's a mislabel. I, I don't know that I would necessarily label that at ADHD. I mean, technically, by medical definition, it is. But it's, it's not, so to me, again, ADHD leads to so many opportunities. You know, what our, our children today are experiencing with this internet generation, with this device generation, mm -hmm. that's, that certainly is, I think, holding people back. I don't think it's a true form of what I've always understood ADHD to be. I think it's a gift, but that's just me. Yeah. And, and that's one of the main reasons why we did ADHD was to, to build a platform for people that think that way, because in all these support groups, they are in, in general, the people that struggle a lot, so maybe, maybe also combined with depression, they're in a very bad state. So there's a lot of complaining and people just yes. want to, to wend and not the, the growth focused um, approach of accepting it and then learning about it, seeing, oh, I have a different brain, what do I have to do? For example, yes. self-care. I, I know you also um, here you says you have been an advocate for mental health. Would love to right. um, chat what, what have you done there with TEDx. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, so when I did TEDx, it was about two, two years ago with my partner. And, um, you know, he and I were doing these small events that were meant to inspire people. But back then, Maurice, everybody was doing it. So we had this sort of idea that, you know, TED was this big thing we would watch and everyone would talk about. Um, it, it didn't feel as accessible as it is today. So we had this idea. We said, let's do something crazy. Let's apply to be a TEDx uh, organizer. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not an easy process, but I think if you have sort of a passion or a mission or a desire to help people, uh, it certainly can happen. So, um, so we got the license and, you know, the idea was let's do something around mental health because, you know, there's this idea that mental health is a hashtag. Everyone's doing mental health. So if we were going to do something, imagine using the TED platform, the TEDx platform, which is designed to have these really open, different, unique conversations. And let's talk about mental health from everybody's perspective. So we had a speaker who talked about uh, from the, uh, you know, the police force, how they approach mental health. We had someone talk about how AI and augmented reality is working to improve mental health. We had someone talk about sort of their growing up in a traditional uh, European family and what that mental health uh, looked like 
in terms of her evolving to the person she is today. So, you know, we wanted to do something that not everyone else was doing, but still had Yeah, the audio just froze. Da, da, da. What we're experiencing and The today, audio just froze, so uh, oh, sorry. rewind one minute or 30 okay. seconds about. 30 just... seconds. Uh, I'm trying to think. So, so when we did the TEDx, it was about creating new conversations and different conversations. Here in North America, we have a lot of large organizations talking about mental health, Maurice, but they're saying the same thing over and over, right? They're not talking about, they're talking about mental health 2010. Mm. Mental health today is very, very different, right? So, so that's why we did it. That's why we ran it. I'm an advocate because I went through it, right? I, you know, you could imagine not having a home leads to a lot of dark thoughts, to a lot of depression and failure tends to be misunderstood as something that should be shameful. So, um, everything I do now in the mental health field is focused on entrepreneurs and is all about just having conversations. I'm not a, a clinical psychologist. I'm not by no means, uh, you know, the next Simon Sinek. I don't have that large platform. I just want to have conversations. I just, that's, you know, I want to normalize talking about entrepreneurship, mental health. Yeah. For, for me, it's super interesting because I'm quite new on the entrepreneurship field, like a couple of years, two or three, maybe five, if you would come. Uh, count the little things and also mental health when I was in school it was always this wage thing like this depression and all, all this stuff but now if you really understand how your brain works because that's basically my obsession for quite a few years now then you, you really start to see see the whole thing like um, on a different level for example self-care which if, if you as a teenage boy and they're like self-care you, you automatically you think of this bubble bath and whatever <laughs> but then if, yeah. if you see from a high performance standpoint like you just need to optimize or have a good sleep and have some off time maybe some nature take care of your nutrition exercise because all these things are interlinked so self-care mm -hmm. in the end I still haven't found like a good job from, from, from the high performance standpoint and that's a little bit more shiny and accessible to people. But, yeah. but nonetheless, I think it's foundational. In, in the beginning, you talked about the balance. We entrepreneurs, yeah. or especially with an entrepreneurial ADHD brain, we tend to hyper-focus. That's what we do. Like if we are obsessed, if, if we're passionate and the, the deadlines drive us, we, we hyper-focus, it's exhausting, which mm -hmm. can lead to think, bad things. So... Yeah, it's, it's, inter it's interesting to me that, um, you know, I said it earlier that as, as, as mental health has evolved, you know, it, we really still haven't eliminated the stigma. I'll give you an example. My, my most common example is, you know, we look at all the things that are happening in the world with, with, with different religions, different uh, colors of people, and different genders, right? Everybody's fighting for a space. And, you know, I look at young men, and I think young men are struggling to understand their identity in 2020, right? Young men, you know, who, young men's definition, you know, back in 2010 was, it's about having a lot of fun. It's about doing things that boys do. And we've realized as a society that young, the definition of young men was harmful to so many other community organizations or to other community cohorts. So if you look, there are many studies in North America that will show that there's an increase in suicide among young men. And we, 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 don't, we don't ask why, but if we were to ask, well, maybe it's because they don't know who they're supposed to be. There's this conflict of who their father or who their male figure is telling them they need to be and what the media is telling them what they need to be. 
um, you know, we, we don't talk about that. So, um, so, uh, you know, I'm with you in terms of, you know, understanding the brain is one thing, but what are all the external influences that also impact us? So biologically, that's important, but, you know, phys- phys- physiologically as well, how are we impacted by the world around us? Yeah, that's a big one, especially, you know, things many people don't realize the, the, the attitude or the, the amount of change that's going on social media and the internet just being one thing rewiring our, our entire communication yeah. of of the people around us but also you touch it at the media like the narrative not only going to um yeah it's really shaping the way our society works and all these different things like many people like um yeah did need to talk about it he talked about goddess death and religion like the, the impact of religion that's that's slowly at least the the um, was it called Christianity, Christian religions and, and the decline and so many factors uh, evolving that's yeah. quite a hard position to be in, especially like if you touched on young man, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I could try to not stray far because it's just a topic. Okay. Another thing I, I've researched quite a bit, especially when I talk about Nietzsche or other philosophers who analyze like the society. And even many have said that we, our Western society, we live in, we now live on is one of the sickest uh, for, for since a long time because many people has gone. Basically, if you deviate from the norm, then you are a healthy yeah. person now, and not if you go with the mainstream and the media. Um, to touch it very briefly. Yeah, and yeah, and the big and the big question to ask is Maurice is who defines what's healthy? Mm. See, I don't think the problem is that we're defining what's unhealthy. Who's defining what's healthy? Right? If you get into these ideas of of how men treat women, if you get into these ideas of how black communities are treated in certain areas, if you you know if you get into these different concepts, who's defining what's normal? Who's defining what's mm. healthy? Right? And I think mental health, I honestly, honestly believe mental health is a definition that was structured back when we had industrialization. It is an old, outdated definition. And I think instead of trying to define what's unhealthy, maybe we should be looking at what's healthy, right? What's, the, what's, what's our yeah. true definition of healthy? Yeah. Best example is this. I, hear, I still see this a lot where people say, Bob, why is healthy food so much more expensive than crappy food? And it Audio again gone. Da, 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 da. Audio. There we go. There we go. Are you yeah, back? There we Sorry. Go. At least you want me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, continue. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, you, you, where were we? You just said. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So the idea was um, this idea of we should be redefining what's healthy. What, what is what's healthy? Mm-hmm. What's healthy was defined in industrialization, right? Industrialization. And I think, you know, a hundred years later, we still crucify and criminalize. I shouldn't say criminalize, but we demonize what's unhealthy. We really should be looking at our definitions of what's healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and the, the thing about psychology to mention, that's also many things that you don't think are obvious. For example, the, the area of positive psychology is quite new because psychology for quite a long time, they were super focused on finding out what's wrong with depression. How can we treat that? And so whatever, 70, 80, 90% of studies, same thing with ADHD. It's in a bias. You look at the symptoms, you look at the things struggling with, and then you only look at the negative things in the science and yes. the research. 
Yeah. No, no doctor says, oh, you have ADHD. That, these are your strengths. Go, go work with them. But you come, yes. you struggle with some issues. And then, again, this bias with negativity, which basically mm. is already wired in our brain to ensure that we survive. Anxiety. Think about the different scenarios that can occur yes. so that you are aware of them. So we have that bias in our brain that basically evolved and now is in certain organizations and in certain, yeah, things we love in the world. But Absolutely. It's shifting. So it's a great yeah. thing, like the neurodiversity movement, like a lot of people now see the positive side of ADHD. Many entrepreneurs or a lot of people I talk to, it's getting more common for sure. So mm -hmm. I think we are on a great path there. So far, so good. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> great. So I would like to touch one more thing to your work with entrepreneurs. So mm -hmm. what do you exactly help them with? And you, kind of what I understand, removing yourself for the, for the business from what I understood and building the systems that ensure your business works, even if you are not involved anymore. That's what yeah. I understand. That's, that's one part of it. The idea is, is to take, I love working with humans over 40 and helping them take the knowledge that they have and earning an income from it. That's really the crux of it. And I think there's this idea that people say, well, if I'm not an accountant, or I'm not a lawyer, or I'm not a doctor, I can't sell knowledge. But the key here is, is we as a world are hungry for knowledge. Everybody has a market somewhere. So my goal is to say, hey, Maurice, tell me about what your knowledge is. What do you know everything in any, what do you know about everything and anything? And the idea is, okay, so how do we build a system or a process uh, that earns you money doing that? Whether it's coaching, speaking, podcasting, whatever it is. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. I'll give, you know, a good example is if you ever met in North America anyway, a doctor, chiropractor, lawyer, they have to go to school for a long period of time, right? They go to school for six, seven years. Never in that time is there ever a class on entrepreneurship. They're taught every other skill except how to run their practice. And the challenge with that is they don't realize that the knowledge that they have can be translated on so many levels other than selling time for money. A doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, they think I have to book, I have to charge for an hour of time and yeah. meet with somebody for an hour. And old that just thinking. <laughs> old, exactly. And that just, that you don't need that anymore. So that's what I do is I help human over four, humans over 40 use their the gift of knowledge to earn an income. That's really the crux of it. Systemization is a part of it, but mm -hmm. it's mostly about, hey, how do you use that knowledge that you have and earn a living from it? It's about creating their own economy. Mm. Yeah, definitely a good time to do that, <laughs> especially since, since COVID where so many people are venturing into that knowledge space. But also I'm really curious how this whole area will evolve, like the market of coaching and the knowledge economy definitely going to be interesting yeah tell me one thing you are curious about at the moment what are you learning about what are you passionate about uh yeah i have this very strange obsession about the future of retail so because of the work i do in entrepreneurship uh, i tend to work with a lot of local government agencies with Oh, there we go. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> it keeps locking up. Uh, so should I start from the answer of your question? Just start from there? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm obsessed recently with learning about the future of retail. What does business retail, consumer retail look like in 2021? 
with everything that's happened with the economy with COVID-19, it hasn't just affected us financially, it's affected us mentally. And so I'm always curious about, um, I'm constantly researching and studying what do, how are people going to purchase in the future, whether it's knowledge or whether it's products or service. So that's a big thing for me is understanding the customer of the future. Um, you know, that also includes understanding the Gen Z demographic. Millennials are already in the, they're already in the consumer base. They're already there. We've already figured out how to work with them. And now it's about what's this next generation, this next generation of Gen Z and coronavirus going to look like. So that's a big obsession for me. Yeah, interesting. Why not share share a few insights that you do that you have around that shift? I think you mentioned a general customer like retail, which increase. Yeah, just share some thoughts about it. Yeah, so I think there's this assumption. There's this assumption that we're going to move to e-commerce, and I think that's a very basic assumption. I think e-commerce as we know it today is one percent of what it's going to be. If you think about what's coming down the pipe in technology with augmented reality, AI faster internet speeds being pushed, mm. especially with COVID-19. I think you're going to start seeing that consumers are no longer looking for features and benefits. They're now looking for experience. They're looking for how they mm. feel about a brand. It's now going to be about trust. It's now going to be about, it's way going to be way more about emotion. And I think that you're now going to start seeing larger Uh, consumer brands, so vehicles, furniture, you're going to start seeing them using their spaces more as experience centers mm. as opposed to places to just buy something. I don't think you're going to see the cash register anymore. That's number one. Number two, I don't think that people are going to purchase as we know it today, right, Maurice? So we understand when I run out of toothpaste, I'm going to buy toothpaste. I think you're going to start seeing um, very automated experiences, right? And you, you sort of see that a little bit today. So let's look at printers. My printer ink is running low. It sends a message to the printer company. They automatically ship me printer ink, right? So I think you're going to start seeing less direct involvement and more automation in, in a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There we go. Oh, we're having a bad streak. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Okay. What, what did it, did it, Less did it, automation. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and number three, I think what's also going to come out is this idea that, um, tech, you know, robots are going to replace people. That's not going to happen. What you're going to find is uh, because we're looking for more experiences, more heart-centered things, I believe you're going to see a lot more art. You're going to see a lot more mm. creativity in retail, right? It's not simply about the logic anymore. It's going to be about how are we inspiring these people? How are we, I hate using the word Maurice, how are we jacking their emotions, mm. right? How are we talking to them in a way that they're emotionally connected with us? So those three core things, I think I'm, you know, the expert that I am and what I know, I think that's what we're going to see. Now that's 20, 2031. I don't think that's just going to appear next year, but um, I definitely see that we're going to be less physically involved in the consumer purchasing process and more emotionally involved. That's where I think we're going. Yeah, it will definitely be a super interesting time. And especially to think in the end, marketing, it's about persuasion and understanding people's emotion. And in the end, you just need to have honest um, intentions and having a great product that people really benefit from and not trying to yeah, trick people into buying a product they don't really need. Right. 
And I think, I think another, uh, and, and one of the reasons why I do the work that I do is you're going to have to use knowledge. If you have a product or service, you're going to have to surround it with knowledge. Mm. No longer are people going to buy from the corner store because it's convenient. They're going to buy because they trust that the corner store is the, ex, is the right place with the right people to buy what they need. Dry cleaners, you're not just going to the local dry cleaner. Who do I trust? Who is the expert in getting stains out of my dress? Mm not my dress, but in general, right? Um, so I think that's what you're going to see is knowledge is now going to have to surround product and services. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, interesting. All right, economy is definitely deep. There's more, um, what's the word? Unbelievable. Sometimes these words, the most basic words, um, com competition, <laughs> companies yes. competing. A lot more competition, like especially the internet worldwide. So I really like the idea. I mean, my, my first mentor in around dropshipping, that's what he keeps teaching, like don't only sell a, a product, but build bundles of information products, tailored yes. to one specific problem, solve yes. that problem for the customer. Because then you have an entry point for a customer, a problem that you're solving for them. And they, if, if you do a good job with that front end product, can you know, know how your customer is basically, what are his problems? And then, yeah, you, you can continue building services around these things yeah i'm super excited for these things i'm huge for virtual reality and stuff like that i'm really yeah. looking forward to it although they are obviously also dangerous don't want even want to start thinking about vr addiction and stuff like that people that are growing up with smartphones and all this technology especially for example with an adhd brain which always says this addictive tendencies looking for the dopamine hit then you are on tiktok which is yeah. basically swiping up, swiping up and bombarding your brain. If, if that's in development in the first, whatever, 10, 10 years in brain development, that yeah. we really, really need good mental health strategies yeah. and tactics around that. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. But still great and interesting. Um, yeah. World to be with an ADHD brain, basically. You have to, to master the early hard phase in the school system. But if you manage to build that structure around you and utilize that creativity and so many people, we talked about it in the beginning, like, and I also talk a lot about our coaching, create the life you want. Understand yes. yourself, understand what you want, and then try, start building your life, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you map out where you want to go and reverse engineer it, the ADHD brain loves that because it's not like you're committing them to a, a small room. You're simply giving them a map. That's it. Mm. And there's still this, this amount of flexibility that you can have. Yes, if you're looking exactly. to become like for me, it's a vision of serial entrepreneur is still there because I'm constantly, Oh, I could do that. So it's still this, but I committed to this venture to at least bring it to a yeah, stable cash flow, a certain degree of automation. So yes. good thing that I find, especially with my business partner, I mean, so that's added accountability, which really yes. helps out the love when one of us comes up with a new idea. I love that. But the commitment Amazing. to, it all comes back to circles. What yeah. we talked about in the beginning, like the focus and keeping the focus on one thing, basically. And also, yes. okay, this might be too much after just, when it comes focus, I, I love to, to talk about how you, it's important on the top level, but also yes. on a more, more finer level, like focusing on a task at hand and learning that kind of focus. It's also a skill you should learn. But let's yes. not dive into that too deep. Um, what's one question I should have asked you that I didn't? So where can you share a lot of knowledge or an interesting story or whatever that I 
didn't ask you yet? Yeah, uh, well, that's a great question. I think um, a lot of people don't ask about, and I kind of touched on it briefly, how will uh, creativity, art, how will culture impact entrepreneurship? I think we've seen so many examples in the media of business being business, right? Suit, tie, mm. money, that's it. And I think what we're not realizing is arts and culture have an amazing, especially history, have an amazing potential impact on entrepreneurship. Because what it does is, people laugh sometimes when I say this, I truly believe arts and culture influence innovation. The ability for us to draw outside the lines and play and do things permissibly, right? Arts and culture is permission to be messy. It, it, it gives us this ability to really strive for, for, for more innovation, for greater innovation. So nobody ever really asks me that when they talk about entrepreneurship, they don't say, Bob, what's the influence of arts, culture, and history? That's what I say is I think I know entrepreneurship isn't just numbers. It really is about this influence of all of these external factors, arts, culture, history, all of these things. They allow us to innovate, to move further. And I honestly, I honestly believe personally, arts and culture is as much a healing factor in certain mental health challenges as is medication. And I know doctors will call me crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I'm an example of that. I truly, when I'm having a bad episode, I don't turn to Percocet. I turn to find something beautiful, which inspires me and helps me reframe. So I don't get a lot of that question. You know, I wish, I wish I'd see more of people saying, so how does arts and culture influence entrepreneurship? That's my, my rant on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, great. Definitely also something I'm, in general, if the more complex, the more I love it. I'm an engineer by training. I love analyzing systems, system dynamics, um, power plants, whatever. But if you're going like one level even higher, like, like you touched, the, the connections between art, culture, society, entrepreneurship, yeah. business, the, the development of people. And if you start piecing, seeing connections in all these things and yeah. how they influence each other, that's really something super interesting. And also, if you're get some some kind of experience with that you get a lot of advantages and benefits for other people if you kind of anticipate something yeah. and um and, yeah. start. And, and we have this whole slew of entrepreneurs that are left in the cold because they're creatives right and most creatives are adhd that's why mm -hmm. they're creative and i think when you inspire them to understand that they have a responsibility to entrepreneurship that allows them to pursue this this um this goal this this ability to influence innovation i think it's a it's a great impact to have Mm -hmm. yeah and this, this conversation really got me pumped about the future and my, my brain really thinking about different things what you mentioned absolutely that's that's another thing where i'm so passionate about and it's like a mission different business here because when we see all these like creative people with many many djs artists people woodworking building stuff creating stuff in all different kinds of forms and it's always mm -hmm. such a shame to see if the, the, the Unlock your full potential, live up to your full potential is something that we say often because if you have all this creativity and this project and you manage to do a few projects, but then you kind of slack off, you get into that after the excitement drops off, you're in a very yeah. like maybe depressed, maybe energetic state. And even if you have those things and you don't know how to monetize them and you have to work in a nine to five job, it kills your creativity, it kills your energy. Yeah. That's just not a good place to be. And 100%. That's I agree. where we help people well yeah well and i think that's where your listeners can really benefit from right is is understanding that they're not bad people mm. right adhd does not make you a bad person it's simply about everything you just said 
how do I reframe to use my power for good? This disability I've been accused of, how do I use it for, for good in entrepreneurship? Yeah, absolutely. Really, really thank you for the great interview. And thank you for your patience, Maurice. I appreciate it. What are your, some kind of conclusion, like what's one thing, one advice you want our listeners to take away from this conversation and also tell people where they can find you. So I will also put some yeah. in my show notes, but. Yeah, I think, so. Oh, did it cut out? Did it cut out? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll do it one more time. Sorry. So what's one thing I want to leave with? Every, uh, every time I say this, people frown. But I think every business plan should have a component of self-care. So in business plans, we talk about how we're going to earn money and how we're going to market. But we never actually talk about how are we implementing self-care into our daily and monthly routines. Mm. And that's where entrepreneurs can thrive, right? Mm. If they know that Monday I'm doing sales, Tuesday I'm doing operations, Wednesday bookkeeping, and Thursday is self-care, that needs to be part of our business plan today. And not just for you. If you're building a company with a team, how are you implementing self-care for your team? And, and I honestly am so passionate about it. it. It's hugely important to integrate self-care into the business plan of 2020 and moving forward. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. I yeah. would agree 100%. It's also a realization yeah. that I made how, how big this importance is, especially as an entrepreneur, high stress situations. If you don't yeah. take care of that, you need it the most in the times where in the busiest times. So, so even yeah. then, so better make sure you have systemized it and you don't rely on your creative, crazy, chaotic brain to kind of think, oh, now I should exercise and eat some healthy food and have a walk <laughs> in nature. And it needs to be proactive, Maurice, not reactive, right? When you put it in your business plan, it's proactive. It's scheduled, it's planned, it's budgeted for. It breaks my heart, Maurice, when I meet entrepreneurs who say, Bob, I can't afford that. Mm -hmm. I can't afford that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, if you budget it into your business, you can afford to eat well. If you budget it into your business, you can afford a monthly gym or yoga membership. Mm -hmm. So that's a big thing for me. People laugh. I don't laugh. My business plan has a component for self-care. Interesting. First time I actually heard of including that into a business plan. But Absolutely. Definitely an interesting idea. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thanks for being guests in the show. Where can people find you? Find me. I'm, I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn. So any of your listeners that are listening, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a note saying you heard me on Maurice's podcast. And uh, if you tell me you heard me on Maurice's podcast, I will happily schedule a free 30-minute chat to talk about how to create your expertise brand. I'm always happy. To, I love chatting with people, but only if you're a friend of Maurice. If I don't know you, I'm not adding you. You're a friend of Maurice. I'm adding you and giving you that free 30 minutes. It's my honor to do so. Great. Thanks for being guests in the show and have a great day. You too. Thank you, Maurice.